Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Today's message is from Sunday, July 4, 2021. The message title is Your Kingdom Come, Pray Big and Live Big, a study from the Lord's Prayer. Revelation 21, 5 says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Father, I thank you for your promise that you are making all things new. As we may have faced our frailty and our weaknesses this week, as we may have come face to face with just how messed up and broken this world can be, or as we uh, even celebrate the great highs of life, nothing compares to what is to come. Father, you are making all things new. And may it be so actively in our lives as we live our lives. May it be obvious that you are making us new, that you are transforming us. You have predestined that we be conformed to the image of your son. So conform us to Jesus so that we would look more like him in everything that we do and say. Father, even as some of us uh, deal with things that just hang over us, as we were singing uh, from Hebrews, sin that weighs us down and, and, and clings so closely, may we cast it off. May we know that this promise is true because of the one who promised it. You are making everything new and how amazing that promise is. How amazing it is that we get to gather and dwell on just how amazing you are and how a firm foundation that is to build our faith upon because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Father... I pray that we would walk out of here better equipped to serve you, to love you with everything that we do and say, open up our hearts so that we would seek your ultimate glory above ourselves. Father, work in us and work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be diving into Matthew 6, 9 through 13, still the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we're going to be dwelling on... uh, you, you, you might think that we're graduating from the, you know, preaching on four words for two Sundays in a row, uh, but it's actually, we're not progressing, we're, I guess, regressing, so we're preaching on three words this Sunday, and, uh, and so we're going to be uh, dwelling on the Lord's Prayer here. Let's, let's read this together. Jesus is teaching his disciples, they ask, how can we pray? And he answers them, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is our fourth Sunday studying the topic of prayer as we seek to become people of prayer. Today, we're examining the three simple words in the beginning of verse 10, which says, your kingdom come. Um, Now, what I hope that you walk out of today with is this idea that we would be 
um, we would be better equipped and excited to pray big prayers and to live big lives for God's glory with eternity in mind. If there's anything, if you doze off in two minutes, if you just remember this, as like you, you don't maybe know why you should pray big prayers and live big lives for God's glory with eternity in mind. Just know that you should uh, when you walk out of here today. All right. So that's what I really hope that we walk out of here today with. I don't know about you guys, um, but there are certain characters in, in history. And since it's Independence Day, I kind of have to mention this guy. Like one of my favorite presidents in the U.S. is uh, Teddy Roosevelt. He just lived an interesting life. He came into New York City while everything was a mess, became the police sheriff and put it sort of all back together again. Then he decided to move somewhere like in the Midwest by himself and just like farm. And then he became the president of the U.S. And he was the interesting guy. He always liked to challenge himself. And so there was one time where a professional boxer came to visit the White House and he couldn't resist the urge. He was like, you're a professional boxer. I like to hit people, too. And we need, to, we need to box it out. We need to, I need to fight you. And so he fought a professional boxer in the White House and uh, was permanently blind on one eye after the fight. <laughs> and just that's like the, one, of, one type of character I just love. Some type of characters in the history that just did some amazing things. So you kind of want to study them because of that. Others are just interesting, like Teddy Roosevelt. Like who goes from police sheriff in New York City to live in somewhere in the Midwest, ranching, to becoming the president of the U.S. and being blinded by a professional boxer because you just couldn't resist the urge to fight him, right? Can you imagine Biden right now, like a professional boxer visiting the White House? He's like, come on, you know? And um, anyways, but certain characters in history are just plain weird. There's one character that I like to study because of the stuff that he accomplished, but also because he was very weird. His name was Steve Jobs. He was one of two co-founders. And yes, there was another co-founder for Apple computers. And um, Steve Jobs, um, I was reading the biography many years ago about uh, from Walter Isaacson, who wrote on his life, and I was in awe over the stuff that he accomplished in his life. But at the same time, I was kind of sad by his skewed view of his life. Um, one of the, the sayings that he would continually go to, like there's this great chapter in the book where he's trying to convince the CEO of Pepsi to join Apple computers and be their CEO. I think his name was Scully, which is a weird name. That's why I remember it. Uh, so he, he, the pitch to Scully, if, I, if that is the guy, was like this. Scully, do you want to spend your life selling sugared water or do you want to join us and make a dent in the universe? That is a good sales point. Do you want to spend your life selling sugared water or join us and make a dent in the universe? That was his phraseology uh, that, that he sort of brought up again and again, this idea of leaving a dent in the universe. He would continually go to this idea. He wanted to leave his mark. He wanted not just to be here present on earth. He wanted earth to be different after he left it. And in many ways, he did amazing things. He revolutionized the personal computer industry. He brought computers basically to the homes of people. Uh, even the fonts that you sort of use on your Word documents and that type of stuff. He was one of the guys who 
put in the fonts because of a weird class he went to in like Harvard or something. Uh, he, he revolutionized the phone industry with the iPhone, the music industry with iTunes, with, you know, uh, personal computer, even, even later education and business life. He did a lot of things, a lot of great things that can't be taken away from him. So I, I'm impressed by the great things he managed to do, yet I'm discouraged because in the end, I don't think any of these things are going to qualify as making a dent in the universe. From an eternal sense, the only sense that truly matters. He may have his name in a hundred years in some history books, maybe in a footnote of a history book saying, oh, the inventor of this product was, you know, well, he didn't really invent anything. He just told other people to invent things. But I mean, the guy who made it happen was called Steve Jobs and so on and so on. But we benefit, you know, even today, we benefit from light bulbs. How often do you think about the guy who invented light bulbs and how it happened and all that type of stuff? Now, you may be the nerd in here. It's like, I do all the time. But uh, generally, normal people don't. <laughs> normal people don't. How does one really make a dent in the universe. Is leaving a mark on this world only done by personal fame? Now, as some of you may know, as you're tired of watching my Instagram stories, I'm trying to get in shape and I'm trying to lift some weights and that type of stuff. And I started to put together a workout playlist and basically the only music I, I remember that sort of like gets you pumped is music I would listen to when I was 16 years old. <laughs> and uh, I'm realizing some of them are are really bad lyrics, and I understand how messed up I was at that time now. Uh, but I was listening to a song the other day as I was lifting, and I was thinking about the lyrics by, uh, by a band called Papa Roach. And uh, <clears throat> in the lyrics, there's this, there's this line that comes up, and the line is, we're not nameless, we're not faceless, we were born for greatness. And I stopped for a moment and I thought to myself, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this logic. In his view, greatness equals being famous and people knowing your face, people knowing your name. But is that truly what greatness is? And then I thought, man, you know, how perfect is this line for uh, the selfie generation, right? For my, for my generation and myself, you know, I'm, Shamelessly take selfies all the time. I took one today. So is greatness only achieved by personal fame and praises of people? Is it true that the best we can hope for in the future in a hundred years time is to be a footnote in some history book? Is that how we achieve greatness? Is that how we leave an impact on this world? And really, that's what I think this portion of our prayer, it teaches us. When we pray, King, your kingdom come, it's teaching us to pray big and to live big. To pray prayers that truly leave their mark on this world and live lives that truly leave their mark in real, significant, and eternal ways. That's what this, these three words teach us. Because the fact is, some of us, we love our iPads, right? We love our 
our, our iPhones, our iWatches, our iTunes, iWhatevers. But if, if you spent your entire life enjoying your screens, just living for that next dopamine hit, and then all of a sudden you're faced with death and you realize you tr never truly lived. Yeah, you watch TikTok videos of other people living their lives, but you just stared at a screen. All of a sudden, you're faced with the reality of seeing God face to face, and you realize that you, you lived for the temporary dopamine hits and fleeting pleasures, and you sacrificed eternal joy. You sacrificed a life that was truly lived. In that moment, you won't really be impressed by all of the stuff that Steve Jobs was able to produce. You need something more than an iPad. You see, prayer is not simply about the immediate and the felt need, even though that's a part of prayer, right? And I, like, I mean, prayer is not just, you know, I have a headache, I have a backache, my, my aunt is going into a surgery next month, you know, I'm gonna pray for all these things. But if we're honest with ourselves, I want to ask ourselves this question. When we sort of audit our prayer life, how much of our prayers revolve around the immediate and the felt needs around us versus the balance of also seeing the eternal perspective? And I'm not saying it's bad because later on, Jesus is going to teach us to pray for our daily bread. So he's not saying it's bad for us to pray for the immediate and the felt needs. But I'm wondering how unbalanced we are and praying for our felt needs versus something with eternal significance. Your kingdom come. See, prayer is not simply about the immediate and the felt. There's most definitely a place for that, uh, but it's not all about that. And what I hope that we get from today, again, is this idea that we would be better equipped and excited to pray big prayers and to live big lives for God's glory with eternity in mind. But to do that, we first need to understand what we're talking about last week. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. Again, three words. The first word is your kingdom come, not ours. We must be willing to say with John the Baptist, you know, when, when his ministry is sort of dwindling because he served his purpose, he was supposed to point to Jesus, and now the attention is going to Jesus. The people are coming to John the Baptist saying, hey, we got to spruce up. we got to get better worship music or something. Like, we need to get the people back. And he says, no, 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 no. He must increase. I must decrease. So we must be able to say with John the Baptist in John 3.30, he must increase, but we must decrease. But it's important that as we go into this and we start praying prayers like, your kingdom come, and you may be in here today saying, yes and amen, he must increase, I must decrease. That sounds good. But I am reminded of this. Before he goes into the Lord's Prayer, he tells his disciples this. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that if they will be heard for their many words. So when we pray, your kingdom come. When we say yes and amen to he must increase, we must decrease, we must mean what we say. That's what Jesus is saying there. 
If you just say nice words that sound nice, but you don't really know what they mean, or you don't really live in light of them, you don't have the reality of them, none of it matters. And that's, you know, like, that's one of the problems I have with what what many people call the sinner's prayer. Do Do you know this prayer of, you know, repeat after me, Jesus, I accept you into my life. You know, I'm yours. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And then we've had hundreds of people repeat that prayer and said, now you're saved. Now you're a Christian. Go. You know, you, you, heaven is just waiting for you. Now live your life. And my problem with that is that, no, it's not simply about the words that you say. As some of us, we may, you know, like, do we have any Harry Potter fans in the house? One, two, three. We need to pray for you guys. Uh, that's, that's a horrible book, too. No. <clears throat> but many of us, we think about prayer in that way, right? It's like a spell in Harry Potter. If you just say the right words in the right manner, then it's going to produce something and something's going to be done. When in reality, prayer is not just about saying nice words. It's not just about empty phrases. It's about living in light of the reality of them. Right, so you may come to me and like, Gunnar, do you really have a problem with people saying, I accept Jesus into my life, I surrender my life to you, he's my Lord, he's my Savior? No, 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 no. All that is, is actually lines up pretty well with Scripture, like Romans 10, 9 through 10. I mean, it's, that's what sinner's prayer is usually built on. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The problem is, who's used the word Lord in a sentence outside of church? <laughs> you, Martha, Lord? Okay. I mean, so Lord is a concept for most people that we're just not familiar with. You know, what does it mean to Lord? Like apparently now you can buy a piece of square meter in Scotland and become a Lord, right? <laughs> so people are doing that. Lord Gunnar has just walked into the building. But to Lord is to rule over someone. To own. He is he's the one in charge. He's leading the way. We're just following wherever Jesus goes. So when you say stuff like, Jesus is my Lord, that's what you're saying. I'm surrendering my life to him. And the reality has to, to be there, not just the empty phrase. Um, but you take this, for instance. Servant of Jesus. Many people say, man, I'm a servant of Jesus. And that's awesome. But then you start to notice that they don't like to be treated like a servant. You know, what if if someone starts treating you like a servant? What if you don't get the praises of the people, you don't get the spotlight, you don't get the compliments, and then all of a sudden it starts to irk you? No one's recognizing my work. Well, a servant wouldn't say that, would they? (laughs) So you may say, yeah, I love being a servant of Jesus, but man, in reality, there's something that irks me when I'm treated like a servant. When I don't get the spotlight, like a servant would not get the spotlight. So when we're praying, this dangerous prayer of your kingdom come, please don't just say the words. Don't just say, yes, your kingdom come, not mine. You must increase, I must decrease. Dwell on that. Does that bother you? Is there something in you that says, yeah, that sounds... Like, I should say that, but man, there's something something fighting it, you know? Like, we were just singing, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. We come before you, we lay down our idols. 
And if there's something that irks you about this prayer, your kingdom come, not mine. And maybe there's a time for us to just sit in it and think, what is it that I worship above God? What is it that's fighting for God's place in my life? <clears throat> because what we need is not just people that know how to pray big words. We need practitioners of the teachings of Jesus. We need people who live in the light of what Jesus has taught us and shown us how to live. Now, second thing we must know is, what is kingdom? You know, again, it's 4th of July, which uh, is known as Independence Day in the U.S. and insurrection in, in the U.K., right? <laughs> and so, I mean, the closest thing to a kingdom we know of is the United Kingdom. And even then, you're kind of like, is it really, though? You know? What, what does the Bible mean by kingdom? What is the kingdom? What, you know, where is the kingdom and, and when is the kingdom? For, for most of us, we think of kingdom as a geographical space. But the kingdom of Jesus is not an area of mud in this world. It is hearts and minds of people that he is sovereign over. And his kingdom is here in Iceland. It's here as we gather. It's here in other places in Iceland as more churches gather. And it's growing around the world. It's almost like uh, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or something. It just keeps growing. You know? It's almost like Jesus was right. <laughs> That's what the kingdom of God is. What is the kingdom of God? Well, obviously, if you think about the word kingdom, uh, kingdom requires a king. And so wherever Jesus rules and reign is where the kingdom of God is. And if you ask yourself, when is the kingdom of God? Is this something that's going to happen in the future? Finally, he's going to come back. He's going to restore. There's going to be new heavens, new earth. We're going to live here eternally. Then the kingdom of God is going to be here. Well, actually, in Matthew 12, 28, Jesus says, but if, you know, if all this is happening by the spirit of God, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That means the kingdom of God is on this earth right now through the people of God. And yeah, it may change. In the end times, when Jesus is physically here, the new heavens, the new earth, the form may change, but the kingdom of God is here. We are his ambassadors. Have you thought about what a huge role that is? We are supposed to show people who our king is. In one sense, this church of Jesus and any church of Jesus, we operate as embassies of the kingdom of God. We're big flaming torches in the middle of darkness saying, hey, if you want the light, here it is. And the people of God, as we gather, we're here to rekindle our flames. You might come in here after a busy week at work, and all of a sudden you're refocusing on what's eternal. What's going to matter, not just in 50 years, but 100 billion years. And the people of God, as we gather, we're rekindling our flames so that when we go into the week, we are light-carrying ambassadors of Jesus. And so, while we may have passports that say we're from the U.S., or we're from South Africa, or Ghana, or the, U, uh, the U.S., more, more, and, and the U.S., and... Uh, wherever we come from. But ultimately, we're all travelers here. We're waiting for our true home. Our highest allegiance 
even on 4th of July, <laughs> is to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you see how this gives opportunity and new purpose to everything you do in life? All of a sudden, how you parent is an opportunity for you to carry the light of the kingdom of God into your children's lives. All of a sudden, the way we bring up our children is to point them to how to live as a kingdom citizen, as a weird person, basically <laughs> what we mean. We want our kids to be weird, to live in light of something that truly matters, to not just be blown away by every wind and wave of doctrine or new TikTok trend, you know, <laughs> but to, to have something eternal and anchored. All of a sudden, everything has a higher purpose. Like uh, our backyard is something that has been not been touched in what seems to be three years now, and it's a wild. I mean, there are weeds that are almost my size in my backyard, and I'm looking at that thing every morning as I drink my coffee, thinking, yeah, not today, not today. <laughs> <clears throat> but I'm starting to, like... Getting myself, okay, I need to get this done. I need to get it done this summer. I told myself last summer, I was like, I'm going to let it die in the winter. <laughs> and then I'll do it next summer. And now it's next summer. And I'm like, okay, I got to do this. And I'm reminding myself, okay, I, I can give this a higher purpose. You know, Genesis 1, I was supposed to rule over creation. I'm supposed to rule over this stuff. It's not supposed to beat me. And I'm getting myself pumped. And I'm like, I'm going to destroy this thing. Yeah. <laughs> But all of a sudden, it's like, all right, you know, I look at this chaos, and I'm like, man, I'm going to bring order to this chaos. You know what? Jesus did that. He came into a chaotic world, and he brought order. And so I'm like looking at this gardening thing that I just despise, and I'm thinking, this is a way for me to be a kingdom citizen. I'm going to bring order to this chaos. But in reality, all of a sudden, what type of worker you are, how you spend your time, what type of hobbies you decide to do, how you use your money, how you invest your money. The way you run your business is given a deeper meaning when you think of yourself with an eternal mindset. To not just develop a great product or be a great worker, but ultimately, and I love this first, whether you eat or drink, and then sort of an all-inclusive, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do you realize this gives an eternal significance to everything we do. The way I cut my meat, I just, I, I wonder sometimes, like, how do I eat to the glory of God? <laughs> do I chew really well? No, I'm just kidding. Because <clears throat> your highest goal is not to elevate your name. It's not to build your empire. It's to build the kingdom of Jesus, to be a part of serving him, seeing his name flourish and his name to be praised. If you really want to pray big and you live big, if you truly want to leave a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs would put it, do this. Live by this radical idea found in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We need to be reminded to pray that the kingdom of God would reign in our lives and spread to others. That our nation and history and eternity for people would be changed because of the hope of the gospel of Jesus. We need to pray that people would surrender their lives to Jesus who died for their sins. And if you haven't surrendered here today, let me tell you, it may sound like bondage to you, but only then have you truly lived. When you find yourself living as you were created to live, under the lordship of your God who knows what he created you for.
Do not waste your life. And the problem, when, when, when I say this, you know, do not waste your life, the problem with a lot, how a lot of people perceive that sentence is, yes, I'm going to start a great business. But you can start a great business and still waste your life. Like anyone my age remembers a company called Nokia, right? Remember that company? They owned the phone market. Now they're making uh, boots. That's what Nokia does now. Yeah, I saw boots the other day made by Nokia, and I thought, oh, that's a great fall. They used to own the phone market, and I'm sure at the time, the guys at BlackBerry or Nokia and all this stuff, they thought, man, this is an empire. We're taking over the world. This is awesome. This is going to last forever. And then all of a sudden, the guy in the garage, Steve Jobs, is coming, and he's plodding along, thinking about this iPhone, and, and they're gone. Even the stuff that looks like it's going to last for a long time, it's not. Do not waste your life on worldly success that has no lasting or eternal impact. Don't pretend to know how long you live. I love how the scripture puts it. What is it? Um, give us wisdom and teach us how to count our days. Is that how, how the verse goes? Teach us to count our days. Teach us to count our days. There's wisdom in that. Knowing that ultimately that day won't get counted. Ultimately, there will be the day that's the last day here on earth. Think about the pride of thinking, well, once I'm financially stable enough, I'll start worrying about the kingdom of God. Or, well, I'm, when I hit retirement, then I'll have time to serve God and all this type of stuff. When in reality, we don't know if we have tomorrow. So what if tomorrow never comes? Will we stand before God and have nothing to say for our lives other than we gathered a lot of wood, hay, and hubble, stubble, hubble. Hubble is the telescope. Stubble is the other thing we burn up, right? We gather, we stand before God. And he's like, here's my life. And it's tested by the fire of God and it withers away. Are we going to be the people that sing about the grace of God, accept the grace of God, but never really live in light of it? How foolish that would be. Will we stand before God and realize then that we wasted our life? Now, when we pray this prayer, we must first ask this prayer for us. Your kingdom come. Here's, here's what the church has been really good at doing for the last few decades. It's pointing the finger outwards. Yeah. Yeah, God. Make your kingdom come upon those heathens out there. Right? Yeah, we need revival in this country. There are some messed up people out there that need Jesus. Now we need Jesus. They don't need the kingdom of God to come. We need the kingdom of God to come. They don't need revival. We need revival. So when we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, don't think, yes, smite those heathens with your kingdom. No, bring it here. Your kingdom come here. Break my idols. Break the stuff that's fighting for the number one place in my life. Your kingdom reign here. Many people have, throughout reality, many people have prayed for revival in their nation and that type of stuff, but then refused to change. Refused revival for their own lives and own hearts. 
So I ask, will you join me in questioning yourself? Will you join me in praying big prayers for yourselves and for others? And when we, when we ask great things like your kingdom come, which is a very dangerous prayer, will you join me in waiting to actually see how God might use you as an instrument of mercy to bring forth his kingdom? Because you may say today, that sounds awesome. Today, I will say your kingdom come. Problem is, tomorrow is Monday. And God might tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, yeah, that difficult scenario that you've been trying to avoid, I want you to go in there and bring my kingdom. Bring the culture of my kingdom. Represent your king in that scenario. See, that's a dangerous prayer. Because God might, there, there might be consequences. There might be things that God might require of us to change. But I encourage you, I implore you, pray big, live big. Don't waste your life. But then, you know, when I ask this question, live big, what do you think of? Again, do you think of wealth? Do you think of developing a strong business? Maybe, you know, <clears throat> I just thank God that there are different types of people in this world, right? It would be boring if everyone was like me. <laughs> but, you know, there's some people I just don't understand. I tried so hard to get out of uh, school as soon as possible. And then I meet people who are like 40 and they're still in school. They never left school. They just got like some degree and then another degree and then another degree. And they have a bunch of letters before their names and they just love that stuff. And now they're teaching in school. And I'm just like, how do you do that? So maybe that's how you think of living big. That's maybe what you think of a successful life. Maybe you're politically minded and you say, well, if I was leading a nation, that would be success. That would be living big. What does living big mean for you? Let me tell you about this man. <clears throat> this man, he started with nothing. Right? We love stories like this. Started with nothing. His own man. He didn't even have the bootstraps to pull himself up by, you know. <clears throat> started with nothing. His whole upbringing was just about survival. Just having enough money to have enough food to put on the table and then trying to find more money, work, so that he would have enough food to put on the table. This boy <clears throat> later on learned carpentry and what he would eventually go and do was to revolutionize the chair as we know it today and are thankful for as we sit right here. This guy made a system to train up other carpenters to copy him in what he was doing so that he started a mass production before mass production was even a thing, right? So before Toyota and all this type of stuff. He built up systems of delivery to get the best quality wood from faraway places for the cheapest prices available when there were no cars and no roads. Eventually, that branched out to other types of furniture. Now he was exporting his products to other countries and later on to other continents. This guy built from scratch this amazing company that revolutionized industries that gave him fame, prestige, and wealth like almost no one had seen before in human history. I want to ask you this question, and you don't have to answer it out loud. Was that a successful life, in your opinion? Was that a successful life? Surely he did a lot of great things. 
You can't take that away from him. He did a lot of great things. But what if I told you that his name was Jesus of Nazareth? Right? And he learned carpentry from his dad, Joseph. And yes, he was a great carpenter, but he also happened to be the son of God incarnate who could have died for the sins of the world as the only eternal hope for all of us. But building a great company requires a lot of focus, a lot of time. And so he never got around to that. If this was the story of Jesus, and think about this, he fully had the right to do this. He could have simply come and just lived a very comfortable life. He didn't have to die for us, but he did anyways. If this was the story of Jesus, and you know now the impact of Jesus in laying down his life, the eternal hope that we've received here today, how it's changed human history, sins and nations and everything else, would you still say that building a revolutionary carpentry industry was a successful life? knowing the impact of his ministry on the world and the implications of his death that gives eternal hope to millions. The thing is, and I don't want to ever equate us to Jesus, no one here is going to die for the sins of the world. But a lot of us think this way. If I do great worldly things, then my life will be a success. But what if there's more? What if there's stuff that actually has eternal significance? No one's going to die and stand before God and say, man, if I've just, if I've just had that latest iPad. But a lot of us are going to have regrets for how we spend our times. Of course, we are here today. We gather not because Jesus became a great carpenter, but rather he decided to lay down his life and become a great savior. So my fear for us, as it's been put by others before, It's not that we would fail. I think we've got some impressive people in here that can do a lot of awesome stuff. It's not that we would fail. It's that we would succeed in things that don't eventually matter at all. That we would think like Steve Jobs, that we're making a dent in the universe by developing an awesome product or building a great company while forgetting that the world needs ambassadors of Jesus more than anything else. And yes, people may like our innovations and products a lot for a while, but their souls are not satisfied until they find their rest in Jesus. Believe it or not, people need Jesus more than everything else. Now, I want to make it clear that I'm not saying all of you who are not in full-time ministry should drop what you're doing and start doing full-time ministry. But rather, to view your skills, your work, your resources, and your life to see how you can be an ambassador of Jesus with those things. So like when we pray a dangerous prayer like your kingdom come and it starts with us and to ask God to reveal what it looks like in our life, may we review and ask ourselves this audit. Is there a better and more kingdom-minded way for us to use our time and resources and skills? Now, if I'm blessed in a certain skill that may get me a good job, Can I also leverage that skill for the kingdom of God in some way? Can I serve the church in some regard with that? Can I serve others? Can I tell them about Jesus? If God's blessed you financially, can you support someone who's doing full-time ministry or can you help those who are in financial need? 
Now, <clears throat> one of the greatest examples I can think of of someone doing this, and you probably never heard of this guy, his name is Arthur Guinness. Anyone heard of Arthur Guinness and his innovations? Um, there's a, a great book that I was reading called The Search for God in Guinness. <clears throat> you may know the last name, and this might be a little weird for church, but he developed the beer company, the Guinness beer, right? The dark beer. And uh, because a lot, a lot of Christians tend to view beer in a very negative light and, and that type of stuff, you may know his name from that company, but you may be surprised by this. His slogan for his life was Soli Deo Gloria, to glory, glory to God alone. Let's be kingdom-minded and not just lustful-minded. Because the reality is, in a hundred years' time, lustful will probably not be here. Maybe. There's some outlier cases. Again, since it's the 4th of July, I met a pastor the other day who's pastoring a church in Washington who's older than the United States. I think it was like 1770 that their church was started. It was Independence 1776 or something like that. So older than the United States and stuff. There's some weird cases out there with really old churches, but overall, look at the trend. Lovestubborn will probably not be here in 100 years. But what can we do now? We can help start a bunch of churches. Maybe in 50 years, we'll all be gray-headed and have a bunch of money, and we may as a church have our own building. We could say to other churches, yeah, use our building. Yeah, we have some money to give away. We're the grandparent church where the you know, kids are always coming over asking for candy. Maybe we, maybe we can be that church. We need to ask ourselves, how can we not just be successful as a church? How can we ask this prayer, your kingdom come for us as we corporately gather, as we're a young church, and then later on, as we see other churches flourish? Remember, brothers and sisters, what we do here is not about Lostovan, our growth and our success. It's all about Jesus. And even though Lostovan will not be here, probably, maybe, in 100 years, the kingdom of God is still going to be here spreading. And if we live for that, if we live for the glory of God and his kingdom, we will not waste our life. And what we do... Every time we gather, is to remember what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. He told us to remember him in this way. So we have the communion and the broken bread. We remember his body that was broken for us. He is the only way that we have any hope. He's the only reason that we have anything to sing about today. But also, we remember his blood that was shed. So if you're a Christian, which means... You've confessed Jesus to be your Lord, kind of went into that in the sermon. You've surrendered your life to him, and you truly believe he is your only Savior. That means when you stand before God, you don't come before him saying, look at how impressive I am. Of course I can come into your kingdom. You point to Jesus and say, no, the man on the cross said I could come. Father, we thank you from the bottom of our heart for your grace and your mercy that we need so much and not just when we became followers of Jesus but every day since may we remember that there's never a day so bad that your grace is not sufficient and never a day so good that we don't require your grace help us be people who fully rely on you father we thank you for the eternal hope that we have that the hell that we deserved 
is not our final destination, but with our Father in heaven. Father, we thank you. Whatever trial we may face in this life, the nail-pierced hands of our saviors will wipe away our tears from our eyes. We look forward to seeing you face to face. We look forward to seeing you make all things new as you have in so many ways already. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, his broken body and his bloodshed. Amen. been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Mm-hmm.